Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Today, I'll be joined by my lifelong friend, John Seller. Together, we'll be sharing memories of our fathers, Alastair Seller and Jack Gardner, in an episode we are calling Our Dads, An Enduring Legacy of Friendship. Al and Jack met in 1925 when they were in the second grade in Bloomfield, New Jersey. They had a rare friendship that lasted their entire lives. Both men's lives exemplified the strength, courage, and determination of the greatest generation. John and I will tell stories of how our dad's friendship continued throughout the years and eventually grew to include their wives and children. John and I are honored on this Father's Day to tell about a friendship between our two families that began almost a century ago and continues to this day. I'd now like to welcome John Seller to our show. Welcome, John. James, thank you so much for having me today. Well, this is an honor because you are literally my friend for life, so thank you. Yeah, it's so true. It's just amazing how, how long we've known each other, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, you're a year and a half younger than I am, so except for the first year and a half, and I don't remember anything from that time, <laughs> I've known you my whole life. Yep. Yeah, anyway. it's something else. It really is. It's just such a blessing. Anyway, John, I want to start off by asking you, what do you know of your dad's early years, where he was born, and how he came to this country? Oh, sure. My dad, Alistair, was born in Scotland in 1919. He had a brother, John, and a sister, Margaret, who we always knew was Aunt Daisy. They came over to the States in the mid-1920s and wound up in Bloomfield, New Jersey. My grandparents, that's where they stayed. That's where their family was over the years. I got to know Bloomfield very well. It was a great town, and I think it probably still is, for my dad and his family to arrive in. They knew some people there already, so it, it just worked for them. My grandfather became a landscaper. He worked on a large property in Scotland, but when he came to the States, he started a landscaping business and worked all around the towns around Bloomfield, uh, Upper Montclair and Glenridge and places like that, and raised uh, a terrific family. My Uncle John was uh, just a terrific guy, and my Aunt Daisy was uh, just a very special woman who was very close with the Gardner family as well. Yeah, when I think about coming from Scotland to Bloomfield, New Jersey, you wonder, you know, how did that happen? Do you know if your dad came through Ellis Island? I believe they did, James. Yep, I think they went through Ellis Island. There was a family, it was the McGilvery family, that my grandparents were close with. So they knew people when they got here. I think it made it more a natural kind of fit. But still, with people coming over from a different country and coming into a foreign land or whatever, it has to be kind of tough. But they made it work, and it did. As I said, they stayed in Bloomfield for their entire lives, my grandparents. So my dad moved to a couple different towns, but it was always in Essex County their whole life. Wow, that's cool. Now, John, did your dad ever mention anything about his memories of being in Scotland? Did he even remember being in Scotland in his early years? James, he really didn't. He had a special tie with Scotland, but I remember a great picture. He was in full kilt, the whole uniform. He was just a little boy. It was the nicest picture. It was just terrific. And I I thought to myself, okay, well, this was probably the early 1920s that it was taken. 
he loves Scotland. You know, I, I heard more than my fair share of bagpipes growing up <laughs> at the house. He didn't share a lot, but again, he was awfully young when he left Scotland as well. You know, I think he came over to the States. He was probably, what, seven or eight years old. Maybe a little bit too young to remember too many of the things that went on in his really early years. So, yeah, I didn't hear a lot about it, but it was always very special to him. But I don't remember any of those stories about him as a child. Yeah, I tell you, it's so interesting to think that we have roots in other countries, and it's always really interesting, if possible, to go and visit those places. Uh, I know with our family, I was able to finally get to England, where my mother is from, when I was in my 20s, and I was thrilled about that. Did your dad ever go back to Scotland to visit? He sure did, yeah. He and my mom went, they went to his birth town, which was Colin, Scotland, they visited there and traveled quite a bit from that location, but in the process met some relatives who in turn came over to visit us in the States and had some deep friendships. In fact, one of uh, my cousins we are still in touch with. Uh, I was just speaking to her not too long ago about the family and what's going on. Her dad was a terrific man as well, and he's in his 80s now, uh, but he, they came over a couple of times from Scotland to visit. It's fascinating when you say that the idea of having roots in these other countries, to have that connection. And unfortunately, I haven't been over there, but my parents certainly did. It's really interesting to be able to go across there and find out. You almost feel at home when you go there. You, you have this strange sense of belonging. I don't know. <laughs> it really is. It's fantastic. Yeah, John, we talked about your dad's early years. And since this episode is about Father's Day and it's about our fathers, I wanted to That's say right. a little bit about my dad's early years. My father, Jack Pershing Gardner, was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was born there, even though his dad and his family was from Bloomfield. My grandfather was down in Philadelphia for a couple of years. His business was down there. He was a flag manufacturer at the time, and he went on to become a flag decorator. So they were down in Philadelphia right around the end of World War I, 1918, right at the height of the Spanish influenza epidemic, pandemic at the time. So thankfully, my father survived that. And it wasn't long after that that they moved back up to Bloomfield, New Jersey. They lived on what's called Broad Street. My grandmother was from Scranton, Pennsylvania, so they had some family there. So they would go out there on vacation sometimes. But I did want to point out my father's interesting middle name, Pershing. Some of you may remember some of those people who are maybe World War I history buffs, a general, American general called General Blackjack Pershing, and my father was named after him. Actually, my grandfather wrote a letter to General Pershing back after my father was born and said, we've named our son after you. And lo and behold, a letter arrived from the general. My brother has this letter to this day, and the general basically welcomed my father into this world. And it was later, not too long after that, when the general was in, I think he might have been in Newark or Patterson. He came there and my father was introduced to him. So that's how my father got that interesting middle name. That's amazing. That's a great game. Yeah. So my father is uh, named after a World War I general. So Bloomfield, early days. I remember my dad telling me well, he showed me the scar he had on his lip, and he said that scar came from a sleigh riding accident that happened when I was about seven or eight years old. And I said, oh, yeah, can you remember exactly what happened? He said, well, I was sleigh riding with 
none other than Alistair Seller. <laughs> and the, his sled went out of control. I think he hit a tree or something. He cut his lip. And Al Seller, who was, again, they were probably about seven years old, he walked my father back to his house so that he could get some first aid from his mom. We figured that our dads must have met around 1925 when your father and his family first came to this country. Yeah, that's about right. You know, and you hear those early stories. That's probably what it was, James, right around that time. Yeah, my dad would tell me that your father and he would play tennis when they were youngsters. They were in the same class in high school together. And I know your dad was very active in writing with the school newspaper, and he may have been on the yearbook committee. I'm not sure about that, but I know he was very active with writing, even as a little kid. You know, the one thing I do recall, James, was certainly his time in school was the extracurricular activities. You know, just was particularly like when it came to academics. My dad was big on that part of, of school, and I do know that he was involved in a lot of things, both in you know, middle school or high school and then college as well. And I think that um, that was a big part of it. I heard stories about our dads playing tennis a lot. Well, that's one side of them, but there's another side of them that I want to bring out. Trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. My dad had a very good memory. He would remember all sorts of things. And every once in a while, he he would sit down and start telling me some stories. And I'm actually quite proud of him for actually revealing this story to me. But apparently, sometime in high school, your father and my father and another young man who was also from Scotland, he, <laughs> uh, he also was part of this little group. These three guys decided one day that they were going to go into Newark and watch a burlesque show. Scandalous. Shocking. <laughs> so what they decided to do, they had to arrange this so that they could play hooky from school. Now, it appears that The other gentleman and my dad, somehow they already had it figured out. I don't know how they pulled it off with their own mothers, but apparently the snag was your grandmother. You know, how they were going to pull this off and what was the deal? So they decided what they were going to do was to have the other friend of theirs who had a Scottish accent to put on a woman's voice and pretend to be your grandmother and call the school and call in and say that Alistair was sick. So the, the three of oh them, my God. the three of them are picture them snickering around the telephone <laughs> while one of them is putting on this Scottish accent saying that poor Alice there has a sore throat and he can't come to school today. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's the wrong person to be impersonating is my grandmother though. If she was the one that caught him, my, my dad would have been dead. <laughs> they That's pulled it off. Funny. That's great. Yeah, that was one of the stories. And then the other thing was, not long after high school, your dad and my dad went to the 1939 World's Fair together. Some people may know that took place in Flushing Meadow, Queens, in New York. And it was quite the World's Fair. I mean, it was all about the future, what the world would look like in 1960. (laughs) That was what it was based on. So Our dads went there, and the story my dad told me was that they went to this one exhibit where they actually had one of the first television sets that they were showcasing, and it had a little camera facing out at the crowd, and there was a woman, and you could see yourself on the TV, and the woman had a a very beautiful model who was describing the TV, and she was interviewing some of the people, 
and our dads were, you know, standing in line and they walked up. My father might have been a little more brazen than your dad, but he walked up and the woman was interviewing him and he saw himself on TV and he put his arm around her waist and she, on TV, pushed him away. (laughs) (laughs) So, John, 1930s, our dads both graduated the same year, 1937. It was the Great Depression. Do you recall whether your dad and his family were impacted by those tough years? Yeah, James, you know, as far as the the Great Depression goes, my grandfather, I think he was in an occupation that they were not affected greatly by it. I'm sure there were minor things that were at issue like everybody else in this country, but I don't think that they were nearly as impacted as some families. The occupation that he had, a landscaper, the areas that he was working in, I believe that they were more apt to, you know, make sure their yard was done. So my grandfather, I don't think that, that he felt it like a lot of other families did. So no, I, the Great Depression, at least as far as I know anyway, did not have this great impact on John Seller, my grandfather, and his family. That was a blessing because so many families yeah. were. But sometimes yeah. you just yep. had this profession that was almost depression-proof. Was your father's family frugal? Well, they were Scottish, so the answer is yes. <laughs> I'm sure that they managed their money very well with that. And I think that uh, that was probably a big part of the reason that they were okay. My grandfather made do for his family and they, you know, they really didn't struggle big time. But a part of that, I guarantee would have been that they were watching it. They were watching the money coming in, but also more importantly, the money going out. But as you said, there was so many that did struggle with that. Yeah. Unfortunately for my grandfather and my father's family in general, things did not go well because, as you can imagine, I mentioned that my grandfather was a flag decorator. It, mm-hmm. it sounds like, oh, flag decorator, you know, how, how much money could there have been in that? But he actually had an extremely thriving business during World War I. He also had a big business back in the 20s. There was a lot of patriotic fervor. There were parades that he would put on. There were fireworks displays he would put on. He would decorate large buildings and hotels in cities like Kearney and Irvington and Newark. They actually called him the human fly because he used to climb up on buildings and jump from roof to roof, hanging these buntings and everything like that. He had really good, really good business going. But you can imagine in the Great Depression, that's one of the first things that was going. Yeah. Yep. So... He went from very lucrative to almost nothing, very, very few jobs. They had a really nice house. They actually had a woman who would come in once in a while and clean the house back in the 20s. That was gone. The house was taken back by the bank. Oh, Uh, my. I didn't know that, James. (laughs) It was. My grandfather was (laughs) in getting a haircut once, and he he came out to his car, and his car was gone. (laughs) The bank took it. Wow. Um, so it was rough. It was some rough years. My grandfather ended up being a manager at a bowling alley, and I think he worked in a haberdashery. And sadly, my grandfather passed away very young. He was 58. He had cancer. So my dad had to kind of go out to work right away. So it was rough. The okay. depression was rough. And my dad said one of the favorite things back then was eating succotash, which was a cheap meal uh, that could be made. And um, they were tough, very lean years. 
But nevertheless, they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. And my dad got a job right out of high school for a New Jersey Bell Telephone Company. Actually, one little aside, my dad told me that when he joined the telephone company for $13 a week, one of the men who worked in the department was quite an elderly man who was getting near retirement who actually had worked with Alexander Graham Bell. How about that? Wow. But let me switch back to your dad now. So when your dad graduated from high school, what did he do? He went to the University of Wisconsin. You know, to think back in that period of time to go from Bloomfield, New Jersey, and then go halfway across the country to Wisconsin to go to school. He went there and graduated there for a four-year degree and ultimately went on to law school at Rutgers. But I think he really enjoyed his time at Wisconsin. He was very involved in there as well. And he just had a, uh, I think, a really, really good time. He remained friends with so many people from school, from Wisconsin over the years. And to see that was really kind of gratifying. I'm sure University of Wisconsin and Madison looks a lot different today than when my father went. Mm. But it was a big deal for my family. He had gotten a full scholarship there. I'm not sure if my grandfather could have paid the tuition for a four-year school, even Mm. back then. Mm. And I think that the scholarship helped. Now, your dad was, as shown in some of the things I read from local newspapers, Bloomfield newspapers, your dad was just very, as you said, very academically minded. It was very important to him. Always, yeah, always like that. And it kind of instilled that in my sisters and myself. That was a big part of my dad's um, world. Let's move on a little from there. So your dad, I guess he would have graduated from the University of Wisconsin around probably around 1941 or so. Right. Yeah, I think that would be about right. 22, that would be about right, James. Yep. Mm. Now, 1941, December 7th, bombing of Pearl Harbor. The U.S. enters World War II. What happened with your dad? How did that affect him? Here he is. He's out at the University of Wisconsin. He's probably just finishing up. He wants to go to law school, or maybe he's already in law school. What happened? Yeah, he um, ended up going to the Army and served in uh, North Africa and in Italy was a part of, you know, the war effort for World War II. He was a sergeant in the service, and while in Italy, he contracted polio. So that was a big deal and an incredible impact on his life, not only at that point, but the rest of his life. You know, his service time was cut short. They had him in quarantine for quite a while in Italy, and then they allowed him to come back to the States and wound up in Bloomfield again. So, yeah, that was a life-changing thing for my father. Oh, I bet. And polio, is, it was such a devastating disease. And, of course, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was stricken with it as well. Right. And he was, of course, President of the United States at this time. Now, your dad came back. Did he ever say anything about how he handled that when he first got sick and had to come home from the service? You know, I think, James, what one of the things about my dad was he was very driven. He wasn't one of those types of people that spent a lot of time talking about particularly things that maybe were not pleasant with that. I think what happened was, like everything else, well, most everything in his life, I think he got it, uh, contracted it, came back to the States, and, you know, he started dealing with it. I mean, I certainly know that there was no kind of wallowing in, oh, my, what do I do now? And I think that he got that from my grandmother and grandfather. I remember them incredibly loving people, but I always 
kind of viewed them as, as kind of driven. My grandmother was very strong-willed, and my grandfather, he was a quiet man, but it was a, a real kind of dignified, quiet. He was very driven on what needed to be done, and I think he instilled that in my dad. So there wasn't a lot of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with Alice there now? It was, okay, we've been presented this, what do we do? Almost in a positive way, if that makes any sense. Mm. They just, I think they looked at it as, as a hurdle, and they did what they needed to do, even in that, you know, when that was going on, I mean, the advances were not there yet, and it had to be a lot of work. It really did, as far as when he got back to the States, because there certainly wasn't the, um, you know, when you go to a restaurant, everything is handicapped accessible now. That wasn't like that in the 1940s. So I'm sure there was a lot of hurdles, but, you know, my dad, you knew him well. He was not the type of guy to say, oh, boy, I couldn't go here, I couldn't go there. I, I never really heard that from him. But I'm, I'm sure it was, to, to say an inconvenience would be an understatement. He and they, I just don't think we're that type of people. You know, to say, well, you know, and we won't be able to do this because it seemed to me they found a way, you know? They did. The polio affected one or both legs? Uh, it was the one leg. My dad was in a brace initially, so walked with a brace and cane from the 1940s and then much later in life, he was probably around, I'm going to say early 70s, James, he took a fall and fractured the leg from that point. It was, you know, that much weaker. And, and of course, he was an older man at that point. They said, yeah, we're, we're going to need a wheelchair now. So they, tail part of his life was spent in a wheelchair. Mm. But from the 1940s until, say, like 1990, in and around there, he was always with a brace and canes, of course. Right. Now, when your dad came back from the service, did he continue his education or had he completed law school at that point? No, I think that's when he went to law school, James. I think he went after he came back. Uh, because of that time thing that you mentioned earlier, I think what happened was, yeah, the World War started. They were only 22 or 23 at the time. Our dad, he went to law school after that. Yeah, got it. So back to my dad. I remember my dad telling me that he had been listening to a football game on the radio, and he heard an announcement that Pearl Harbor had been bombed, December of 41. I believe in 1942, my dad enlisted. He knew he was going to get drafted. I mean, it was, it was inevitable, and he wanted to enlist, so he might have some choice in it. Well, he, as I mentioned, he had worked for the New Jersey Bell Telephone Company, so he was kind of in communications in a way. So right. he took a test for the Signal Corps. He passed with flying colors the aptitude required to work in the Signal Corps, which is a communications-based arm of the Army. He went out to training in Missouri, I believe it was, and he ended up going overseas. And he, like your dad, he was a sergeant. He was initially in England, and then he ended up in, I believe, France, Germany, Austria, and on the last day of the war, on VE Day, he was in Italy. When I was a little kid, I mean, people talk about when they were little kids, maybe their parents told them fairy tales and things like that. My father used to tell me war stories. <laughs> that explains a few things. <laughs> he did. Oh, that's great. He used to tell me stories about old football players, Jim Thorpe and Sid Lookman and different things like that. But he told me his stories from the war. And, you know, John, I really, really wished 
that I had a recording of all those stories. Oh my gosh, isn't that true? Oh gosh, and I implore anybody who's listening to this to talk to your relatives, talk to your family members, and when they tell you stories, write them down, or even better, record them, because they're priceless. They're priceless. But a few of the ones that I do remember is that one time my dad was standing talking with a French resistance soldier, and I think it was in Germany, and a German soldier came out of nowhere and surrendered to them. They took a few things off the soldier before the, I guess the MPs or the Frenchman himself took the German off to the base or whatever it was. And my father had the field glasses of the soldier and they were really beautiful binoculars. And he sold them to his captain or lieutenant or whatever for like 40 bucks, which was a lot of money back then. But boy, if you had something like that now, it'd probably be worth a few dollars, I would imagine. But he did that. My dad was actually knocked over by a bomb in London. Uh, initially, in the I believe it was the V2s at that time were exploding. He got knocked over. He was not in a combat division, but they weren't far from where the combat was taking place. He used to tell me that there was one time when their captain accidentally led their convoy into the middle of a battle, and he said you could see the tops of the German helmets and the machine gun fire, and his captain got a reaming out. And they fortunately were not killed by it. But they saw a lot of action, not as a combat, but being close to where the action was. And he did tell me he saw a lot of dead soldiers. And imagine that would have been very impactful. I bet, yep. But the big thing that happened because of World War II was right after the war ended, my father came back to England. And on New Year's Eve 1945, my father went to a tea dance in London and my mother, Pamela Moore, her name was at that time, who was in the Women's Royal Air Force, was there at the tea dance, and my father met her. He only dated her for like a couple of weeks before he got sent back home to the United States, and they continued to correspond from there. The story will continue, but I want to switch back to your dad now. So your dad went back to law school. What happened then? How did his life proceed from there? Yeah, um, after graduating, he wound up at a, a law firm in Newark where he worked pretty much his entire life, uh, later moving to Roseland, New Jersey. Much later, though, my dad was at retirement age when they transferred the office from Newark out to Roseland, started practicing law there, met some incredible people, some judges, superior court judges that, um, that he worked with when they were, you know, they were young men still at that time. It worked out really well for my father. He wound up in a firm that the partner of that firm was the nicest man. He, he just took my dad under his wing. They became very close, just a good man, quite a bit older than my father at the time. But they remained friends right up until this gentleman retired himself. And my dad ended up becoming one of the partners in this firm and remained so until, um, even until after he retired, they kept the seller name. Believe it or not, I think even until after he passed away. It was a career that my dad always loved, and but he was the president of the New Jersey Bar Association at one point. I don't know about the word influential, but he, a lot of people sought out his counsel. It was fascinating to watch him, and my dad was just, you know, he never blinked. You know, he, just, he, he never got kind of thrown away from what he needed to do. He was a real professional, and he took it seriously like he did his schoolwork. This was an important he thing. He did. He sure did, James. Yeah, he really did. He, he was, uh, I, I hate to, you know, he's my father. I'm, 
for me to say it if somebody's going to probably say, well, what's he going to say? He was, he was an honest lawyer, to be honest with you. He, he just, he always seemed to know right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and if it was wrong, he really didn't want any part of it. He, he was just a, a decent guy that way. I always respected him for that. He just did his job. I think he did it well, and I think people respected it because they knew that he wasn't that stereotypical, just say what you need to say in order to, to get things done. He was really true to his work. He's just a really good guy. Now, John, he wasn't beyond getting kidded around with with some of his lawyer buddies. Wasn't there an incident in a bar with a pair of scissors? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, my <laughs> my poor dad, like his son now, he, my dad lost his hair very early on. He did the dreaded comb over. He, um, <laughs> he just, it, it looked awful. I'm sure my mom had something to say about that, too, but he, man, he was hanging on to it. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm sure he took a lot of ribbing from his friends, and they, they were out after work one time. Bob Clifford, who later became a, a Supreme Court justice on for New Jersey, was one of my dad's friends, and they were out at a, a tavern, as they were wont to do once in a while. And he got a pair of scissors from behind the bar from somebody and proceeded to lop off the comb over from my dad <laughs> in the middle of the bar. And <laughs> they all had a great time with it. And needless to say, my dad never grew it back. He, he, from that point on, he was that thing was gone, and he, he was bald. So <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, Bob Clifford and, and he were good friends. He got away with it. My dad, you know, he rolled with the punches like everything else. It was okay, you know. Oh, so, yeah, so that was. I'm sure. I'm sure my mom was very pleased about it too. It looked awful. The so. end of the the end of the dreaded comb over. That's exactly right. So. so, John, on my dad's side, he's back at the telephone company in Newark. They had held his job for him. He was gainfully employed. And while he was there, he was still corresponding with my mom. But they didn't know if anything was going to come of this. They only dated for a little right. while, and she was in London, and she had started working. And he was working, and they were writing back and forth. But they were very interested in each other, but they were... 3,000 miles apart. So my dad noticed a pretty woman at his office, and that person was your mom. Exactly right. <laughs> I know this is getting a little Wait, weird here. It? <laughs> it's getting weird. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, boy. However, they actually went on a couple of dates, and at yeah. one point in time, and I know my dad had been talking about this girl in London that he had been corresponding with. I don't know to what degree, but my dad went out on a date, and it was a double date. Your mom was my dad's date, and he brought along Al Seller and another right. young lady, and they went on a date. And what do you, what happened after that? Uh, you know, from the stories that my mom would tell, as much as you know she loved your dad and your mom, of course, according to my mom, she saw my dad, and that was the guy that she was going to marry. Shortly thereafter, they started dating. Just think back and the logistics of the whole thing where our dads were friends from these early age and here your dad has gone out on several dates with my mom or my dad came onto the picture. It's funny to think in terms like that, but that's what happened. It was okay. So Yeah, it was. It worked out very well. It certainly for <laughs> us it worked out well, right? So <laughs> Right. The, the other or we wouldn't be talking. Or we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> the next thing that happened was that my dad asked my mom to come to the United States, which she did in January 1948, and they married on May 1st. John, the other thing is that, I don't know if you heard this, I think maybe we've had a conversation about it, 
But your father's sister, whose name was Margaret, you called her Aunt Daisy. We always called her Margaret. She actually went on a trip to Scotland and England right after World War II. While she was over there, she made a trip into London to visit my mother before my mother even came to the United States. How about that? It's just amazing. The connection is so deep um, on so many levels between the two families. It's really something. And your Aunt Margaret, Aunt Daisy, became one of my mother's closest friends until the day your aunt passed away. Exactly that was right. yeah. many, many years. A lot of traveling together. That was fun to think about that long-term friendship. So my mother ends up coming over to the United States, and my mom and dad get married in 1948. What year did your parents get married? Do you know, John? I want to say it, w- it would be right in that time frame, 47 maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would be accurate. I don't know if they got married before your folks or not. Yeah, it was close to it. it would have been right in that time frame anyway. I know that. Yeah, so there's a lot in common now. Two high school friends, they went off to war, they come back, and now they've met the women they're going to marry. And the families begin. So I want to ask you about your family growing up, and what was it like growing up with Al Seller as your dad? You know, James, I cannot express the respect I had for my dad. He took like a, the foundation for our family. He was the certainly the breadwinner of the family, but even he'll say that my mom had the tough job. My mom was the stay-at-home mom and raised my three sisters and myself. And my dad, he was just the foundation. My mom ran the house, but they made these decisions together as far as certainly where to live or decisions about my sisters and I. My dad was just, you know, it was very funny. He, again, because of the time frame, I think that World War II people, they were a little more, I don't know if the word stoic, but expressing uh, feelings and things like that. My dad was not a big uh, I love you or a hug kind of guy. Mm. But at the same time, I, I cannot imagine a father loving his family more than my father. Mm. He just he was just so devoted to his kids and his wife. You know, like simple things like he was busy, but he would, anytime I had a soccer game in high school, he'd always take off work early and make sure he got up to see me play. You know, when it wasn't around the corner, it was from Newark up to Caldwell, which was, you know, under a half an hour or so. But uh, it was a little bit of a distance. But I always appreciated that so much that he guided to always be there. Any time my sisters or I had something going on, both my parents, they always made a point of being there to support us. He was great that way. He wasn't a great storyteller, but he loved to laugh. He had a great sense of humor. And um, it's one of the things I always... I think about when I um, when I do think of my dad. He loved the joke. He was very quick. He was a smart guy, and he was really quick with. He got the joke, but he was a lousy joke teller at the same time. <laughs> and um, he was a fun guy to be around. He loved family. He loved friends. Of many times with, with people in my own life, like friends of mine, he was always interested in them. He always showed interest in what was going on in somebody else's life. And I always loved that about him. It wasn't, in my mind, as hardworking as he was. He always had time for, like, the little things, to just to kind of let us know that we were cared for and loved very much. Again, because he was old school. Like, it was World War II. That generation, they, a lot of guys didn't do that. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, oh, boy, and I love you kind of group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was one of those. But at the same time, I, I really mean that. I, I can't imagine a dad loving his family more. 
he was just a stand-up guy, somebody to really look up to for me. Now, John, you have three sisters, right? Yeah. And you had an older yep. sister that your mom and dad lost as a child. Yep, they did. Her name was Denise. This would now be, you know, the early 50s, I guess. She came down with an illness. I'm not sure what caused it, but she ended up passing away, and it had a big impact on my mom and my dad, of course. But I remember, you know, years later talking to my mom about it, and it was tough. That was a, a tough experience, and that was their first child as well. Mm-hmm. That was a hard period for them, that sense of loss. I was thinking about when you said your dad wasn't sort of a, one of those huggy-feeling sort of people. And my dad was really the same way. He was not a sort of huggy person, but I felt totally loved by him. Yeah, he was a great guy, James. You know that. Your dad was terrific. He really was. And he, like with your dad, our dads were kind of older for us. My dad was Mm -hmm. 40 when I was born. I think your dad was probably close to that. Yeah. Same age, yep. Yeah, growing up with my dad, I have my older brother, Keith. He's six and a half years older than I am. So it's just the two of us. And my dad was a phone company man. He had a carpool many years that he would come home pretty much on time every night. I barely remember any nights where we did not eat dinner as a family, which was yep, priceless. Same thing here, James. We yep. all sat there and ate our dinner together. Often the news would be blasting on the radio. Don't ask me why. <laughs> but eat your meatloaf. Eat your meatloaf. <laughs> I really idolized my dad and. You know, he was always there. He wasn't the throw the ball around type of guy. But as I said, he used to sit and tell me bedtime stories. And he would help me with my homework. He would always be interested in how I was doing. He loved to laugh. He used to use sarcasm sometimes. (laughs) Well, some people would say all the time. Somebody called him once the high priest of sarcasm. (laughs) But he loved a good laugh. And when he would get going, he really, really would laugh. He just made me feel secure as a kid. I remember him telling me that when I hit 50 pounds, because I I hated to eat. I never used to eat anything. I I just didn't eat. I don't know what it was. But he told me that if I hit 50 pounds, he would buy me a, at one time I thought it was a G.I. Joe. But now that I think it was a Zero M camera. Back in when I was a kid, James Bond was huge. And this was a camera that when you clicked it, it turned into a cap gun. And I wanted it so badly. And I remember when I hit 50 pounds and my dad came home with that, I was just, I was just so excited. My father was pretty frugal. He wasn't cheap, but he was frugal. So we wouldn't get gifts lavished on us, but we had what we needed. And there would be nice little surprises too. And one time I remember my brother, Keith, and I roar over this one. This is hysterical. My father decided to, I guess it was on Halloween. So we got a, a knockoff. <laughs> It was a plastic pumpkin with like a black cat and a plastic pumpkin and it had a light bulb in it. So you would plug it in and you could put it in the window as a Halloween decoration. So he comes in from work. He didn't even take his coat off. He was so excited about this thing. My brother was there with a friend and I was there and we come into the dining room and he says, watch this. And he plugs it into the wall and all the lights in the dining room go dim and there's this loud explosion and the plastic pumpkin just exploded and it just melted Beautiful. all over his hand. <laughs> Thank that. <laughs> it made our day. We were roaring. He didn't think it was so oh, funny. Oh, that's great. 
<laughs> but he he cared a lot. My dad was a he would sit and listen and ask me how I was, and he cared and he idolized my mom. He was just a wonderful dad. Just so grateful yeah, to sure have was. him as a dad. Sure was. But John, one of the one of the main reasons we're telling this story is because our dads were great friends and always were. But our families became friends. And that's what I want to talk about. What are some of your memories of the things that the gardeners and the sellers used to do together? James, it's so funny. Growing up, there were two families that I just always think of as a child, and that would be the Sherman family. That family was terrific. They lived around the corner from us, mm-hmm. or right next door to us, I'm sorry, on, on one street, but then later on right around the corner. But then it was the gardeners. It was your family. I cannot think of a time that the families weren't involved in something. I always remember 4th of July cookouts, particularly over on Burkindine Road where we would sit on this hill, and there would be a whole crew there. The gardeners were the common denominator for our get-togethers. So, yeah, because we lived in the same town, or at least one town over, West Caldwell and Caldwell, we always were able to get together easily, and we did. So that was a big part of it. And then, of course, our trips down the Jersey Shore to Ocean Beach, those are just ingrained into my brain. I just remember so much fun just hanging out with you, but our parents have so much fun together. They certainly taught me a lot about friendship and what it meant to be friends. It had to be effort on their part, you know, to get together. They all had different jobs. You know, getting together and just enjoying each other's company all that time, such a part of my childhood. You know, when I do think of that, it's the Gardner family, it's you and Keith, mm-hmm. and, and our parents hanging out together. I remember being down at Ocean Beach, and they just wanted to have their time together. And I remember, okay, you know, go go fly a kite or something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we'd be out the door, and they would enjoy their time together. And you and I would would hang out and just have a great time down at the beach or in and around the cottages down at Ocean Beach. And it was just such a part of of growing up, the picnics and and the get-togethers. Of course, although you and I, we were not directly involved in it, the the New Year's Eve parties at my parents' house and Jack and Pam Gardner being there every single year. And then when our dads passed away, our moms continuing to Mm. get together and have dinner for New Year's Eve and just kind of enjoying each other's company. It it really is a special thing. If you even took out all the time together, which, you know, now we're coming up on 100 years, it could be a decade, but if you crammed those things into a decade, it would have been just as meaningful. Mm. It's the Gardner family is so special and so many memories from not only myself, but my sisters, you know, hanging out with Keith while they're down the shore. It was just a natural fit and it always was. And to this day, you know, you and I doing the same thing, you know what I mean? It just, just being able to talk on the phone every few weeks is really just a continuation of that. But it's just so many great memories of your family, James. Oh, thanks, John. I totally agree. I totally agree. When I think about Ocean Beach, I'm a little older than you are, so I maybe have a few more memories of it. But me having an older brother, who, by the way, has an amazing sense of humor. He always has. And uh, yeah, yeah. He can, <laughs> he's, a, he's like me. Sometimes we, we laugh at things that other people don't think is funny. <laughs> and I know you're a lot the same way. But as I said, he's six and a half years older. And of course, you had older sisters. So they could kind of keep their eye on us a little bit too. So our parents could have a little time. So kudos to them for for keeping an eye on us. But I do remember putting up with us. I remember flying kites on the beach. 
I remember some of the, when I hear some of the early Beatles music from 64, 65, uh, you know, Who Loves You and uh, Help and things like that. It brings me back to lying on the beach and it was like a big family. It was the sellers and the gardeners and often my grandparents would come down. Of course, your parents always embraced my mom's family who would come over from England, my Aunt Audrey. Lying around, we'd have a, maybe a cooler of something There'd be an ice cream sandwich guy who would come around, and I remember you dropping one in the sand once and eating it and crunching on the sand. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> and, of course, the thing I do remember the most was the Seaside Heights night. That's oh, right. It's a magic that, other than Christmas, I can't think yeah. of something that brought more thrill to me in those days was the thoughts of going to Seaside Heights Amusement Park in New Jersey. We'd be on the beach, and you got the Beatles playing on a transistor radio, family all sitting around and talking. And I remember your dad, he would, of course, have to wear the long, usually uh, dark pants, but he had this yep. amazing tan. He really tanned well, and I remember my yeah. dad would help dig out stuff for, like, uh, sandcastles with me and stuff like that. And I remember your sister and my brother making a car for us in the sand, and they put a trowel in the sand, and it... And he wrote on it, the SSJJ, James and John. I remember that very well. I uh, do remember that. Yep. Yeah, there's a yep. picture of that. And I'm going to see if I can yep. get that out and get a copy made of it. But I remember that. But That's the great. Seaside Heights night was we would, we don't know who was watching us or who was assigned to watch us. All I know is we were having a great time on all the kiddie rides. And it was just a thrill with the cotton candy and everything. So those it were just sure great days. I remember the New Year's Eve parties because what that meant to me was that my brother and I were going to have chicken pot pie. <laughs> frozen <laughs> and he would let me you had to eat it too and we had to eat it they're going to the cellars you know we'd have the chicken pot pie my brother would let me stay up and watch thriller theater and as soon as we heard the car rolling up at like quarter after 12 you know i would run up and pretend to be asleep so my brother wouldn't get into trouble yeah. but those were good times and of course there were picnics in the park and things like that but one of my memories of the Seller family and myself was the time when your parents invited me to go with you on a trip to Cooperstown, New York, Baseball Hall of Fame, and also to Lexington and Concord, which to me was a thrill because anything to do with history. And what a that great time we had. Do you remember that? Yeah, it really was. Yep. And of course, one of the things I remember was we were in the hotel one night and the fire alarm went off. <laughs> <laughs> And we had to be evacuated from the hotel. Yeah, we were. We got up. We went into your parents' room, and I remember your poor dad. I mean, he was moving like lightning. He was putting on his uh, his brace, and your mom was helping him. But they were like clockwork. We got out, and it's like two o'clock in the morning, and uh, we we made it okay. But they took us all over the place, and we had so much I, fun. I, that was a big trip. That wasn't it. That was a great trip. It really was. It really was. So. I want to move on to kind of the later years of our dad's final years. I might start with my dad only because he had passed away sure. first. My dad was thankfully able to live to see me married and also to see two of his three grandchildren. My daughter Jamie was born two years after my dad passed away, but my daughters Jen and Katie were very little. They were two and one when my dad passed away in 1988. My dad had bladder cancer when he was uh, about 60, 
eight years old. I think he was diagnosed and he went pretty quickly. He had an operation, he had chemo and nothing really helped. And we were told that one of the most common causes of bladder cancer is smoking, which is something my dad did for many, many, many years. Uh, He did give it up about six or seven years before he passed away, but the damage was done. I've never seen anybody face an illness and the end with such courage as my dad did. Yeah. No complaining. The only thing I noticed was he would cry sometime. My dad was not a crier. I almost never saw him cry. I think he just grieved that he was going to be saying goodbye to his family. I think that's what was so sad to him. I did want to share one story that, and I hope I get through it. My mom told me a couple years after my dad passed away that when my father was getting close to the end, uh, your dad came over by himself to visit my dad. And they, they sat there and they chatted for a while. And your dad said to my dad, look, I know you're going through a tough time. I'm sure the hospital bills are high. I don't want you to worry at all if you need anything or anything at all. If you need anything at all, Jack, he says, I will take care of it. I don't want you to worry. You know, when I heard that, it just, it really devastated me because I just thought of their deep friendship for so many years. And I know your dad meant that with all his heart. Thankfully, my dad had pretty good insurance from the Bell Telephone Company. But um, to know that his friend was there for him uh, must have given him a lot of comfort. And also to know that your parents would be looking out after my mom, after my dad passed away. I think that friendship, I think that's where that friendship was based in, uh, James. I really do. I think that that's the way these men thought. That's what you did. It's great to hear. I could see my dad doing that. But, you know, to hear it, it's a reminder that you and I, we were just, that's the type of men those, those two guys were. They were just good men. That story kind of exemplifies that perfectly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, John, can you share about your father's years? Because I know your dad outlived my dad by about 13 years. Can you talk about his yeah. final years? Yeah. After he left the law firm, he was a, a retired guy. I think he missed work, James. I really do. I think he missed the routine of it. I, to him, I don't think it was a job. I think it was, that's what he did. And I think because he got slower and it was harder for him to move around, if he had a choice, I think he probably would have stayed in the game. But my dad slowed down as he approached his late 70s and early 80s uh, or 80s. He definitely slowed down. I saw it. He ended up getting cancer as well and passed away in 2001. The blessing of that whole time period, James, was that he didn't really suffer. It was fairly quick. I don't think that my dad was in a lot of pain over that period of time, but did pass away in 2001, and that was that was a big deal. That was my dad. He adored his grandkids, just loved spending time with them and joking with them. And to this day, they now that we, you know we're talking 20 years ago now that that he's gone. Hard to believe that. His grandkids still talk about him in such a good way. I love when they do that. I really do. I think that he showed them what he was before he passed away. And he did. He loved those kids so much. And now I hear them saying it. And that means the world to me. It really does. Some of them were little kids. Some of them were in teenage years when it happened. And they still remember the impact that he had on them, which was really cool. He impacted his family greatly, not only in life, but in death. Well, John, thank you for that. I'm going to ask you specifically now, how has having Al Sellers, your dad, impacted your life? Oh, boy. 
how not? <laughs> I mean, um, one of the things besides the aspect of family, the friendship part of it, and, and again, I stress that game just because that's what this was your want was for this podcast, for this show, was the idea of, of how friendships can work over a long period of time. My dad taught me so much about that. I had mentioned earlier how, how he knew, you know, some really kind of influential people. It's amazing how many times they turned to him for counsel, you know, just to talk. One of the things I thought about this after you and I spoke the other day, one of the things I always remember when my dad first went into his first job as a lawyer, he went to school with a fellow by the name of Harrison Williams. They called him Pete Williams. He and my dad became very good friends now in probably their late 20s. He ended up becoming a, a New Jersey U.S. senator and got involved in the whole Abscab scandal in the 1970s. This gentleman, who was a great friend of my dad, ended up doing some bad things. He took some bribes, ended up doing federal time in prison for what he did. And, and a lot of people ran from him. A lot of people took off, who I'm sure he thought were friends. And I remember him calling the house one time to talk to my dad. And this was while the scandal in, in Washington was going on. My dad wasn't a criminal attorney, so it wasn't about that. He needed to talk to him about something else. But he called him as his friend. And my dad spent quite a bit of time on the phone with him. And after he hung up, I thought to myself that, and I said this to my father, that you think you should be talking to him. Won't that kind of drag you down with him? Like, you know, somehow you'll be tied in. And, of course, my father had nothing to do with that scam. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget what he said to me that day. He said he made a very, very bad mistake, and he knows it. But that doesn't lessen my friendship with him. He knows he made a mistake. I know he made a mistake. But I don't think any less of him. He's my friend. And he needed to talk. And I thought to myself, wow. yeah, that's what friends do. You know, we all have a past. We've all made mistakes in our lives. You're supposed to run towards people, not away from them, when they've proven over and over again that they're your friend. He taught me a, a really big lesson that day. And I try to embrace that. I think that my father instilled that in me. And the other thing, too, James, the whole idea of empathy, because of my dad's illness, if I even said that illness, he, he'd be like, it's not an illness. If I use the word disability, it, you know, my dad almost used that as a lesson for not only me, but my sisters and people that came in contact with him. I didn't think of my dad as having a, a handicap. I can honestly say this. I don't think I ever heard him once in my life complain about the hand he was dealt in his 20s. So from, you know, almost 60 years, he dealt with having to go from point A to point B where everything had to be planned out safely because wore a brace, or he, in later life, had a wheelchair. I don't think I ever heard him complain about it. And it taught me a lot about people with disabilities, that, yes, it is a disability, but only to a certain degree. You can still be whatever you want to be. And my dad, to me, proved that, because it had to be an incredibly frustrating at times thing. My dad didn't let that get in the way of what he needed to do. And sometimes, again, rightly or wrongly, sometimes I... I lose my patience with somebody that says, oh, you know, I have the sniffles or, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. boy, when I hear that, I'm like, boy, there's people that are without limbs or without the use of limbs or things a lot worse than just having a common cold. He taught me that, you know, he taught me to have empathy towards those people that are, are less fortunate because of it. I think that it's one of the profound things that I think he taught my sisters and I that you don't have to look at anybody. Uh, I never thought of him as having a disability. That was my dad. 
And he did to me all the things that dads do. And now I look back and I go, yeah, it just taught me an awful lot about those things, James. And I'm blessed because of it. I carry that now. I carry it with people that I deal with. This awful thing that he dealt with taught so many, so many positive things because of it, because of his attitude towards it. So I'll always think of my dad that way. John, thank you for that. You really summed him up. A man with a lot of courage. He just went about his way doing the right thing and uh, being a wonderful friend to my dad and to others and uh, just a strong, stabilizing person. A man I always admired. I remember, (laughs) I always remember when I was a little kid, I would always poke fun of his bald head. Of course, who didn't? (laughs) (laughs) What goes around comes around because now I got a bald head. Me too, fat (laughs) fella. Oh, mine fell out like a Christmas tree in my early 30s, you know, like an old Christmas tree just fell out. But I remember I would joke with him and he would take his cane and he'd sort of poke me and say, get over here, young man, get over here, young man. And and uh, that was his response to me making fun of his bald head. And it was fun. I, I would have fun doing that. But on my side, I'm talking about my dad and how I was impacted by having Jack Gardner as my dad. I think... One of the things I say the most is feeling secure and safe. I felt very taken care of. I felt that he was like this big buffer of protection against anything that could have come my way. And wisdom, I saw his example of loving and caring for my mother. I saw his protection that he gave the family financially He always wanted to, perhaps he missed out on some (laughs) investment opportunities that could have made him wealthier, but he wanted to make sure that what happened to his family when he was a kid growing up during the Depression would never happen to his family as he was the head of the household. He loved and took care of his mother, who was a widow for many, many years. He helped take care of her. As I said, he did love to laugh. He loved history like my mother did. They always took me to different battlefields and museums. And my dad and I would watch Combat together. I don't know if you remember that show from the (laughs) 60s. Yep, yep, yep. Watched football. We watched the Giants together. I remember when my dad was not long before he passed, he was in the hospital when the Super Bowl was on and the Giants were, this is the late 80s, and the New York Giants were in the Super Bowl. And I remember watching the game with him and what a, what a joy it was to be able to do that with my dad. And I think I've been impacted in a way that I saw an example of someone who loved their family, loved their wife, and was always a stand-up, honest guy. And again, he cherished friendships as well. And my dad didn't have a lot of close buddies. He was always my mom first. He did join the Lions Club because my mom kind of forced him to. So he did make some friends and he played tennis for a while and did things like that. But he always wanted to be around my mom. But Al Seller was always his friend. He always spoke fondly of Al, and none of them ever turned down an invitation from the other one, did they? No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) But my dad was really someone who I always, to this day, I miss him, and he's been gone 33 years. So that's how I was impacted. I hope I can be close to the man he was. My next question I want to ask you was, how did our fathers and our families friendship impact your life? Oh, James, I I mentioned it earlier, James, with just all the things that we did together. You talk about the security that your dad showed your family and everything. There's something really, really deep in having 
close friendships like that, to see our dad be so close for so long and then have that transfer to you and I as well. I just think that just makes your life more complete. Having people in your life that, that you can call up and just talk to uh, and not just about superficial stuff. You know, you and I talk about some pretty deep things. There's a couple of guys I do that with, and you're right at the top of that list. And I think I got that from the example set by our dad. I knew they were close, and had been close for a very, very long time. And there's something very empowering about that, how it influences your own life as far as almost a sense of security that you can certainly, you know, I can talk to my wife, Sam, and you can talk to Kelly, and we do. But there's times that talking to a friend is a great thing and talking about things that other than how's the weather, talking about what's going on in our life is really good. We learn that from watching our parents do the same thing. I really agree with you, John. That's, that's definitely the way I feel. I mean, we mentioned it before that in 2025, that's four years from now, our families will have been friends for 100 years. You know, in our lives, we have friendships that come and go. Sometimes it's yeah. just a natural thing that happens when you move away or you, you're at a different phase of life or sometimes you have an argument or two or what have you. It happens. But our families have been almost 100 years friends. And, of course, there's been a lot of incredible people who've been part of that friendship. You mentioned the Shermans. I always remember the Shermans, the great times we used to have with them at the different parties, and I know we had a lot of fun with them, and I know poor Jack Sherman and his wife passed away very young, sadly, and I remember your dad when he was very sick, and I went to visit him in the hospital. It was near the end, and uh, we were talking about my dad, and he was kind of not, he wasn't 100% himself. He was very weak or whatever, and he says, Jack Gardner, best of friends, best of friends. And he, he had this look of pride on his face. And I, oh my gosh, what a, what a sense of warmth there is in hearing that. Because it's, uh, it's my dad. And to know that somebody thought that highly of my dad, like I do, it's just very comforting to me. And as you said, you and I have been friends since birth. And we had some years where we didn't really talk that much. Two years in school difference makes a difference. I mean, we had different friends, yep. did different things. You were... An athlete, I was not a good athlete. <laughs> and uh, Yes, you were. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I'm really good at the egg and spoon race, in case you're interested. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> but, you know, having a friend like you, and I, I have three daughters and now three grandchildren, but you and Sam have always been very concerned about our daughters and if there's ever any problems our family is having, you know, you're always right there. I mean, you're always very caring. You've always been right on with calls at Christmas and Easter and birthdays and all sorts of things. And that's just so comforting to know that that call is coming or that text message is coming or what have you. You're in South Carolina. I'm in New Jersey. And I have never felt closer to you as a friend than I do now. James, that means world to me, as you know. And I don't use this term lightly. There are a handful of men that I consider to be brothers, and you are one of them. Everything but the blood. I've always said that, and I'm sure I'm always going to feel like that. You are uh, truly a brother to me. That's the way I look at you. And it is, um, again, I go back to, to what we were raised with. 
I think our dads were that type of men. You're supposed to look out for other people. And I think our dads were that way. I know what you are. I know I know how you are with, with others in your life. You are certainly like that with me, and you always have been. And you are a brother. Oh, yeah. thanks, John. Yep. Feel the same way. So I want to ask you, what do you believe your dad would have wanted his legacy to be? Oh, boy, James. He wasn't a private man, but he, I think he would almost be embarrassed that I'm talking about it. I really do. I think the one thing, and we mentioned this the other day when we were talking about with Camp Mary Hart up in Hackettstown, uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. it, again, a learning tool was because of his polio. My dad in the early 60s started a camp for the disabled, handicapped, for younger kids to go camping. And it's a camp equipped to do just that. Now we're talking 60 years ago. You know, that really wasn't done. And my dad saw the need for it and began this thing. And to this day, it's still up and running, bigger and better than ever. Because of COVID, they suspended camping operations. The camp is still there and still operating. But camp-wise, for safety reasons, they have put off until next summer taking campers again. I still get updates from them what's going on at the camp. And I'm very proud of the idea that my dad was one of the founders of it. He just saw the need for that. He wasn't looking for the slap on the back by any stretch of the imagination, but he, when I think in terms like that, that was my father. He really wanted to help other people. It was something obviously close to his heart. Some of the people that go through there, I know it's the time of their life. And to think that even in a small way at this point that my dad would be involved because of it is really cool for my sisters and I. It's just a, a really good thing to remember and buy. Wow, that is a great legacy to have that camp still functioning and going strong. That's fantastic. When I think about my dad, his legacy, it's hard to say what he would say, but I can guess from what I know and how I saw my dad in action. I would think that my dad would have wanted his legacy to be that he loved his family, he loved his wife, he loved his children, he took care of them, he loved his friends, he was trustworthy and loyal. He sure was, boy. I would think he would want his grandchildren, now his great-grandchildren, who he's obviously never met, to just know that he would have loved them and taken care of them too if he were here today. And that would be my dad. I want to just give my final thoughts here. And this has been a wonderful conversation, John, and you and I have conversations all the time, but (laughs) we never recorded it. I now we're in trouble. Now we're in trouble. (laughs) This is, there's evidence now, right? (laughs) This came to my mind. I was talking to Kelly this morning about it, and I don't think she ever heard this one before, but I was thinking about what our family friendship meant to me and thinking about our dads and how I would tie that all in. This is what came to my mind. When my dad passed away, it was, it was extremely difficult for me. I mean, I was 29, but I still had a wife and I had two children already. I had my own home. You know, I was kind of supposedly established, but I still, I wanted my dad. You know, you still want your dad. And when I lost him, I tried to be, I'm a pretty social guy. I tried to be pretty stoic during the wake process and 
yeah, of course, people are flooding in and you're shaking hands and you see friends. And as the gardeners and sellers are well known for laughing at funerals and wakes, <laughs> go figure, but we do. And I don't know that I cried a whole lot during the wake. I don't think I did at all, really, until I was sitting in the little section of the room at Van Tassel's funeral home where my dad's casket was. And I was sitting there and in walked your dad and your mom. That's when I broke down. Wow. Um, because, hold on one second. This is 33 years ago. <laughs> it just yep. reminded me of how hard it must have been on your dad. So <laughs> that's when I lost it. But nevertheless... It did remind me of the value of long-term friendships. And regardless of who goes first, that friendship will always continue in the person who's still there. That's right. And there's a lot of value to that. And John is a huge value to have you as my friend, my lifelong friend. I know we're going to make it to 100 years in 2025, and we're going to go beyond that. Yep. So I want to thank Truly you. Made. <laughs> it is. I want to thank you for spending this time reminiscing about our dads and our families and our friendship between our families for the last 96 years. James, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. It really has. It's brought up a lot of good memories, and, and I'm just grateful for you. Thanks, John, and I hope the rest of your day is a really good one. Thanks, James. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So, for all of our listeners... Keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.